All right. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of the Lone Ball Football Podcast. You're listening to myself. Oh, I didn't say it. I didn't say the catchphrase. What's the catchphrase? A weekly podcast by two brothers about all uh, things. I can't believe I didn't say that. It's a shit catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to speak to see you come up with that one. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You listen to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's your week been? Yeah, good, man. Um, I feel like it was a great uh, a great welcome home weekend for Premier League, Premier League which we're obviously going to discuss at length in this episode um but also another international break of you know that added to that the the world cup draw it was a yeah it was a decent little break the world cup feels right around the corner now we've had the draw definitely feels like it's a real thing now i'm starting to look forward to it a lot um of course we should say a big congratulations to portugal for making it through uh, what was quite a tricky uh, playoff situation to make it to the World Cup. I think we can all agree that it wouldn't be the World Cup without Portugal, really. So delighted to see them in it. And I know that probably the the vast majority of our listeners will be Portugal national team supporters. So a big congratulations to uh, to everyone on that. We look forward to the competition arriving finally uh, in November. But it's been, as you say, a couple of weeks off what, with the international break. We've had a little, uh, a little break from the podcast, but also we had a week off to feature on one of our favourite podcasts as we were kindly invited by Zach Lowy, who I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with, onto the uh, excellent Quarterlinius podcast. If you haven't listened to that already, you you can listen to myself and Barney as Zach's guests on the most recent Quarterlinius podcast. If you just search for Breaking the Lines on whatever app you're listening to this on, you will find a podcast. And uh, it was good fun, I think, Barney, because uh, we had a tough task. We we were tasked with picking the 25 best players in the Premier League. So it was a fun one, um, but quite tricky and, and plenty of disagreements as well. Yeah, it was uh, it was fantastic to chat with Zach. I mean, uh, certainly the, the fountain of all knowledge when it comes to, I'd say identifying players in in this league. I think he's, he's, he's so good at that and the, uh, yeah, it was a real treat, a very hard task, like you say. And I, um, I also think we come the end of the season, we might have might change our twenty five uh, lists. Uh, a couple of disagreements, but uh, yeah, no, it was it was a great honour. So yeah, really happy to have done that. I feel like I need to come clean, Barney. There was there were a couple of dodgy choices, I have to say, from myself. Um, one of the obvious ones is that I didn't go for Otavio in my sort of top five Porto players. I think I went for Fabio Vieira instead. And, and when we were talking to Zach, and he was like, oh, you didn't go for Otavio. Why was that? And I kind of tried to, um, you know, make this argument about uh, Fabio Vieira being a more technically for player. I'm not going to lie, Barney. I just forgot about Otavio. When I was doing my notes. <laughs> so he would have definitely been in my list. Um, but no, it was still good fun and, and, and definitely worth checking out because there were some picks from smaller teams as well. And I think that was some of the best conversations. So yeah, definitely go ahead and have a listen to that if you haven't already. Well, look, we're back and... Now that we're back in the swing of things, we want to make this a bumper episode to kick things off with. And we're going to attempt to do something that I don't think we've done since the very, very early days of the podcast, where me and Barney are going to attempt to cover every single game from Jornada 28 of the Primera Liga, all the games that happened last weekend. We decided to do that because, to be totally honest, when we were discussing the running order of the podcast, there were just too many important results that we didn't think could really be left out. So we're going to start, as we always do, at the top of the table, but then we're going to start talking about a lot of games which impacted the relegation battle and some of the mid-table results um, as well. But let's kick things off, Barney. Let's talk about Braga versus Benfica, a particularly interesting game from Friday night. And a few weeks ago, uh, we discussed Braga losing at home to Gilles Vicente in a game which put their position in fourth place in real jeopardy. But since then, they've won both their Premier League fixtures. They've extended their lead in fourth place to six points against Gil Vicente. And in the meantime, they knocked out Monaco from the Europa League to progress to the quarterfinals. Now, the one thing that I mentioned when we discussed that game against Gil Vicente and that loss was that Braga had a really tough run-in 
in the end of the season because they still had Benfica and Porto to play. Well, they overcame one of those obstacles at the weekend with a brilliant 3-2 win over Benfica. And it was tense at times. There was some perhaps questionable questionable refereeing decisions. And of course, Benfica almost clawed back a draw. But there was some fantastic football from Braga. And three goals of real quality, I thought, that earned them three points against a very, very tough opponent. I think you're right to highlight that um, that loss to Gil Vicente um, as a sort of a, a turning point because there's a few factors to that I want to add. You've got, you've got big players that are there. The prime example for me is Al Mizrati, who, let's be honest, has underperformed, but I'd say most of this season, right? And Abel Ruiz as well, potentially you could add into that. Um, players at the back as well, like Tormena. Plus, you add a few players coming back, like Andre Castro in midfield, um, David Karma, of course, at the back. And suddenly, this Braga team that were... You couldn't tell what Braga were going to turn up. You had lot youngsters popping up all over the place. You know, suddenly, this team have got a bit more a bit more to them. They've just looked a far more convincing Braga. And in this game in particular, I think it's the strongest Braga team I've seen Carlos Carvajal put out, I think. And I think that that's what worked for them, you know, I mentioned David Carmo already. Um, Andre Horta as well, you know, uh, Ricardo Horta's brother, who I, I've slated previously this season. You know, he was another player, like one of these players stepping up to the mark. And it was just, a, it was such a fantastic game of football for this one. I think it was exemplified by by three wonderful goals. You know, the, the, the level of performance. It was a fantastic free kick from Lou Medeiros in the first half. As you alluded to, that wonderful link-up between the Horta brothers, actually, for the second, the, the connection they had was excellent. And then, absolutely, from Ali Al-Mazrati, one of the best assists we've seen all season to set up Patina for that hard goal. It's hard to choose, Barney, between which of the goals was the best. For me, that Madeira free kick, obviously a lovely bit of individual quality, but I think you have to give the pick of the bunch to that third goal from that Mizrati assist. And you were totally right to say it It was an excellent display from him. The type of display that we had become accustomed to last season, that level of performance, which perhaps he hasn't reached at every opportunity this season. Can I just say on that Mizrati assist, that I, I don't know if we've asked, we've asked this question a while ago, but if I was to say <laughs> what sort of player am I, I'd say I'm Mizrati. And the reason is, <laughs> you, you know all too well, Albert, my, my, my weak foot, my left foot, I do like to have a go with it every now and again. You know what was this guy like to have the to have the belief to like hit that ball with that his, his weaker foot and how yeah. dangerous it was like it was mm. literally in the perfect position for Vitinha. Um, it was just I uh, yeah I I think I will agree with that. that was that was my pick of the bunch and I want to highlight Vitinha as well you know because the guy needed just forty five minutes and he almost got mad of the match for me the way he mm. came on and like. Because you know Abarus has been performing better recently, you know, but and, and is is a good striker. But when Vinicius come, you know, I had no doubt that he would be up for the battle with Otamendi and Batongan. You know, this you know this he's the sort of striker who loves it. He would love a little physical challenge, and, and he certainly excelled in that. The thing I like about Vitinha as well is that he's starting to prove that he can do it consistently. Because when he first started to to grab the headlines, it was because of these one or two occasional. Great performances. I remember that game where he scored four goals in the cup, I think, and then he yeah. scored two goals in another game. And he started to think, okay, good performances, but is this a bit of a flash in the pan? Um, I think that's what he started to prove wrong in recent games is that he can do it consistently. Obviously, Masrati puts it on a place, puts it on a plate for him, but it's a, it's a wonderful finish, and it's uh, yeah, his, his goal scoring numbers are now starting to look really good. Another fantastic performance that I really wanted to talk about, Barney Lou Medeiros, in my opinion. Lou Medeiros is Braga's second best player. You might disagree with that, but for me, I will always stick by him. And I believe one of the most underrated players in the Primera Liga. I know he has had problems with injury. Um, I think we know that he's not been the most consistent, but he's the type of player that on his day, his natural footballing ability, in my opinion, is up there with any of the best players in this league. No, I can't disagree with you on that. I think... um... You know he's always, he's always been a dangerous player for me, um, and I, I think you're right. I think you know him and Ricardo Horta. You know you probably take those two in, in, in any team in this league when they're on their on their day. Um, I, I do you want to talk about the his, the way the freak it was awarded? I, I think I mean, we have to if we're going to be fair because I I personally didn't 
really like that decision. I mean, I can I can kind of understand if it's technically within the rules for anybody that's not aware of the situation. Essentially, um, Lou Madeira scored from a direct free kick on the edge of the Benfica box. The free kick was awarded because Jan Vertonghen was a judge to have put an arm into Ricardo Horta's face. If you go back and watch the replays, if you've not seen it already, it's very, very soft, I have to admit. And I think Horta does make a real meal of it. So I think Benfica will probably feel quite rightly aggrieved. I have to say I didn't, I wasn't a big fan of the decision, but it did lead to a, a fantastic goal. The, the, the thing for me, and I think we talked about it a few podcasts ago, about the quality of refereeing in this league, that's what it comes down to. I mean, it's it's there's just so many inconsistencies. And, you know, unfortunately, it does seem like Benfica have had a, a few of them recently, if you see. I, I'm not trying to get behind any because, you know, you're not, you get no, what we, do, we, we do try and stay clear of... of talk of bias towards one particular club. I don't believe in that at all. But yeah, I definitely agree that unfortunately refereeing is not of a great standard. We've talked, you know, we're great advocates of Portuguese football and the, and the Portuguese league. If anything's holding this league back, it's not to do with the talented players. It's not to do with the talented managers, the youth players. It's to do with professionalism. And unfortunately, I think the refereeing is, is part of that. I don't think we have the level of professionalism within the refereeing setup that that we would like. And perhaps other big leagues have... Um, and perhaps even other small leagues when you look at places like the Netherlands. So it is it is a bit of a shame, but it's what we've got at the moment, unfortunately. I think you can include professionalism in the way that um, official club spokespersons uh, talk about situations like this that's as well. True. You know. That's true. Just to quickly go back to Braga, because I do want to talk a little bit more about Benfica. I, I, I just had a couple of players I wanted to highlight. One player who I feel like we ha- well, I certainly haven't talked enough about on this podcast is Rodrigo Gomez. For Braga, you know, this guy is, is naturally a winger, but he's been playing as a uh, wing back as uh, Galeno did several times with Carlo. And I think, though, you can certainly see that he suits playing a, as a, an attacking winger rather than a defensive fullback, uh, you know, because he was he was up against Rafa and a, and a very good Gilberto in this team. And, he, you know, there was a few times where he did look a little bit out, out of place, but, uh, you know, on, on the back foot. But when he's on the front foot, you know, only Rafa completed more dribbles than him in this game, you know, getting forward and attacking defenders. He's, he's so dangerous. And I think he's a really exciting talent at this Braga team. And, and also I think it wouldn't hurt him if he does play a few more games as, as a wing back for Carla Carver. I think that could, that could be good for him just to sort of develop him. No, I think it's a great point. And we've spoken before, I mean, we might have even spoken about it with Zach about how, um, Wingbacks have been an interesting position for for Braga because last season you felt like their wingback positions were so uh, set in stone with Eshgaya and Sakera. But this season has been a completely different story. At right wing back, we've had Fabinho, uh, Fabiano, and Kuto have kind of fought it out for those positions. And at left wing back, as you say, he's trialed a whole host of players in that position, a whole host of young players as well. So um, it has been interesting to see. And, and I do like Gomez. I do like Mora. And of course, I do like um, the 15, the 16-year-old Roger as well. So they've got plenty of young options at left wing back. And I think Carvalho, to be fair to him, has, has managed that situation quite well. Um, so Braga have now won five of their last seven games against Benfica, one with uh, Ruben Amaran as manager and four of Carvalho. And looking at Carvalho specifically, this is his sixth victory in his career against Benfica. Um, also doing it with Vittoria and Osbel uh, um, and as well. Um, so, you know, this is a, a huge achievement for him. Uh, was it you recently who sent me a, a message saying, you know, he's all but announced that this is his last season with Praga? And, 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 and you know, of course, that's going to be, that's going to come up at the end of the season. You know, that where, where might he go next? He's also revealed, you know, with the Europa League coming up, that um, he held talks with Rangers early in the season when they were looking to replace Steven Gerrard. And, should he be considered for Benfica? For me, it makes sense in terms of what he's done with Braga this season, which I think I certainly have underrated in terms of the the bring you bring you through and still having a a, quite a good enough quality team, and uh, that, that could be what Benfica need, man. You know what? On paper, I, I don't mind it at all, but I don't think it would be a popular choice amongst Benfica fans. I think I'm right in saying Cavalier's had a had a crack at a big free team before with Sporting. I don't think it went too well. So. I think he, and again, I'm sorry, I don't have the quote to hand, but he did do an interview where he kind of made it pretty clear that he's he's very open, shall we say, to moving on at the end of the season. I think he even named Besiktas 
specifically as a club that he was interested in. So I think we can see him moving on, but I think that move will will ultimately uh, will ultimately be abroad. Let's talk about Benfica, Barney. Let's talk about this game from their perspective. The interesting thing that that I thought was that I didn't actually think it was a terrible game from their perspective. I thought, although obviously it's disappointing for them to lose, and 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 this is a game that they probably would have expected to win. I don't think they were unusually subpar. I personally just put this result down to an excellent performance from Braga where they really limited Benfica as opposed to a performance where Benfica were wasteful or, or underperforming. I I do feel like they had a had an eye on the Champions League. You know, you, you see that with perhaps Darwin being rested or although he did, you know, he's had a long way to distance to travel from international due. Perhaps they wanted to give him that extra bit of day rest as well. But, you know, there was something a little bit missing for me, but he, uh, but you know, they, like you say, they did well to get themselves back in it. You know, it wasn't a completely um, terrible display for them. You know, I mentioned Gilberto already. I was very impressed with him. That was probably one of the, his better performances for Benfica. It's just, it's just, there's just players there for me, Albert. You know, well, I'm just going to name. It's just one, really. I'm so disappointed in Everton. I just feel like we really are, have not seen anywhere near the standard I was expecting from him uh, since he's moved here. And, I, you know, the, the most damning stat of all, you know, he, he failed to complete any of his six dribble attempts in this game. There's just there's just a player there who came with so much promise um, and was even sort of like the, the, the you know, that when they had Benfica, that big splurge, he was one of the, the, the key signings. He was the one of the, the biggest signings that, with Darwin. And, and it's just, he's just dropped off and yeah it was this uh, he, he's really disappointed me yeah i mean he's playing pretty much as a as a shell of a player at the moment which is which is quite quite to see but quite sad to see but i think you put your finger on a, a bigger problem with benfica and perhaps this is a bigger conversation for another time that we'll get into more at the end of the season but they seem to be back now in in a, in a similar position to where they were a couple of weeks ago with not really much to fight for in terms of their league position they seem to be all but guaranteed in third obviously some great uh, achievements in the Champions League and, and we look forward to seeing how they do against Liverpool but if this is to be their last round in the Champions League then their season does really look in danger of petering out and, and then you start to ask does it become a case of well now they need to start planning for next season getting a new manager in looking at that squad who needs to be moved on who needs to be brought in what work needs to be done there because at the moment I feel like they just they just look like a club that needs to get their identity back really I think one thing's for sure that I, I don't think there's any sort of. I, I'd be surprised if there is any Benfica fans really who would like for Ismo to stay as as manager. I've, that might be harsh, perhaps, but um, he just hasn't shown enough for me. Obviously, he's been done fantastic to get them through in that tough Champions League tie with Ajax, and we're obviously hoping they can go further and further in that competition, but. The, the uh, sort of statistic, but he's failed to win three games in a row uh, since he's become Benfica manager. That's that you know it hasn't been able to build any sort of form. You know, just when we think they've got it together, that you know something happens. And it, I am interested to see who they get. I feel like they need to go something different. There's been some heavy rumours with um, the PSV manager Roger Schmidt recently, and uh, and uh, uh, you know PSV has announced that um, Ruud van Nistelrooy will be their head coach next season. So you know he he's going to be somewhere else, whether it is Benfica or we'll C. So. I think that could be good, a manager from abroad, something different. I just, you know, maybe it begs the question, you know, can can you get anyone in earlier? It, it, you know, can, can you just, you know, let's start, let's start something because there's nothing really happening. Let's be honest here. This is opening a whole can of worms in terms of a, a new conversation. But in my opinion, Barney, I don't think it really matters what manager they get in if uh, they're working with the same squad next season. But I think we'll move on swiftly before we, <laughs> we get into a, even more of a wormhole on that one. Well, let's talk about another game, Barney. Um, let's talk about sporting versus passos because, of course, there were no slip-ups for sporting in this game. It was 2-0 that they won on Sunday with a penalty from Sarabia and a second-half goal from Nuno Santos securing the victory. There were obviously plenty of positives to chat about, but you know what? I want to get started with what everybody loves, a nice juicy bit of controversy as Sporting's penalty, won by Paulinho, has been a massive talking point on social media, seeing as there are different replays showing different levels of contact, shall we say. The call made by the ref initially was for a dive 
but a VIR review, including the on-field referee consulting the pitch side monitor, led to a penalty decision being given and a goal for sporting as a result. I have to say, Bunny, that my instinct as it happened was that it was a dive. But once they showed the reverse angle of the incident, the angle where Paulinho is running towards the camera, they showed that replay multiple times on the screen. And I think you can clearly see contact between Passos goalkeeper's left boot and Polino's right foot. So it was a decision that took a lot of looking at, a decision that upset a lot of people. But in my opinion, I think they did make the right call in the end. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I'm a bit... um... I'm a, I'm a little bit perplexed about why this has got so uh, so much traction. You know, I, and I think um, it was a it was a, a very much deserved win. You know, regardless of the penalty, if the penalty was given or not, I think this the, the this sporting performance was going to lead to a win, uh, one way or another. I'll be interested to hear your thoughts, because for me, that I, what I saw, I, I certainly think this is this is Sporting's strongest eleven, the one they went out with, with Nuno Santos at left wing back, Mateus Reese in the, in the back line, and Sarabia Pose up front, and that midfield pairing of Nunes and Palinia. I, I think that's their strongest eleven, but it's eleven that I don't imagine we'll see next season. And what I think was great to see was the players who got on the pitch, Marcus Edwards, Vigarte, mm. even Brancanza, and perhaps seeing a touch of the their strongest 11 we might see next season. You know, that, that, that's what I really liked about this game was that we saw a bit of everything. I mean, it's a really, really interesting point, Barney, because when, when you're going through that 11 there are, that you think is the, the strongest 11 they can put out, for me, there are two names that I think you could arguably switch. And those two names are Pedro Gonçalves that I think you could arguably switch for Marcus Edwards and João Palinho, who I think you could arguably take out for Ogarte on current form. You could argue that those players are are the better calls, are the better choices at the moment, and I think that was evident in the fact that this game really changed when those two players came on. Agate, in particular, I thought had a fantastic game, and he for me was arguably the man of the match, despite coming on as a substitute. His pass for that Nuno Santos goal, the second goal was exceptional. You know the potential that he has is is frightening because as a central midfielder, the qualities that he possesses are, are just perfect. Right, he can get stuck in and do the dirty side of that defensive midfield job. We see him getting involved in tackles, breaking up play and stuff. But then he also demonstrates that technical ability that that he has, that range of passing that he exemplified in that assist is also excellent. And, you know, Jopalina, a player that I love and I'm sure a player that will likely move on for a hefty price tag at the end of the season. If I was a sporting fan, on current form, I wouldn't be too worried about that when it looks like they've got Ugarte ready to walk straight into that team and possibly even make more of an impact than what Jopalina's had on that on that side. Yeah, I think um, I think the way you describe Ugarte there, you know, the first half we said he, he does the dirty, he gets stuck in. That's Palinia, right? But then mm. what Agate, that difference in the, is Agate's technical ability. I think that that's something he certainly offers. I mean, um, to bring up once again the, our, our appearance on the Cortellinas, you included Nuno Santos in your top twenty-five players of the season, I and I was I was doubtful of that. I, I've got to be honest at, at the time. But do you know what? This performance absolutely nails him on for me. You know, I, I, I'll let you talk about because I think you talk you talked about him so well then. But I think he's you know he's 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 underrated for the job he's done for Amarim this season. I think he's Mr. Reliable. That's what he is. He's he's Amarim's utility player. He's a player that he knows, that Amarim knows he can rely on in any situation, whether that be the Champions League or that be a game against Pastor de Ferreira in the league. He knows that he can rely on Nuno Santos. His adaptability to, to play at left wing back when he really is a forward player has been fantastic. His attitude and application when playing that position has been phenomenal as well because he's never sulked and, and he's always taking that position uh, with two hands. So, yeah, I wasn't surprised at all that he was the player that got that second goal that really killed the game because they'd had plenty of chances, but it was still only 1-0. And he was the player that popped up at the end of the game with the goal that really got a victory over the line. Um, We had to talk about Edwards as well, Barney. I think he was another player that really shone coming off the bench. And I wasn't surprised that he had an infinitely bigger impact on the game than Pedro Gonzalez had had for the 60 minutes that he was on the field. Gonzalez was anonymous. Edwards was just everywhere, um, really lighting things up. He was very unlucky not to score. For anyone who's seen the game, he's got that chance from point blank range, which drops onto his right foot. And, 
you know, it, it was a real disappointment that he didn't score. I don't mean that as a criticism. I just mean that because he probably deserved a goal uh, for for his performance. But he just looked so dangerous when he came on. You know, I thought him and Ugarte, like I said, completely changed the game because the first half, Sporting dominated the possession but really struggled to make chances. That second half, they scored, could have scored four, five, six goals. And I think those two players, Edwards and Ugarte, were, were really key to, to, to changing the game. Edwards is simmering, isn't he? You know, he, he's, <laughs> he's just, he's bubbling away there. And you know that, you know, he, he's going to, once he gets his start, I mean, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure Sarabia and Palini have both got yellow cards in this game. That might mean that they, they're they now suspended. So we could see your, our guys, Ugarte and Edwards, get, get a start next game. Um, so so that would be good to see. Well, the last thing I'll say on Edwards, Brian, is that I'm really looking forward to seeing him next season because I think there is coaching to be done with him. I think Amarim... Uh, will need time. I mean, let's not forget, you know, this is a young English player who doesn't speak Portuguese and and so will take more time than perhaps most signings to settle in. The early signs have been promising and I'm just, I think that, you know, with a few months coaching from Amarim with a pre-season where they really drill into him exactly what he wants from Edwards on the pitch, gives him a bit of guidance. I think come next season, he's going to be a really influential player in that side. I don't have much to say about uh, Pastor de Ferreira, but I mean, I think they were, they're probably always going to lose this game. I mean, the one thing I do have to say is, is uh, uh, from a very personal point of view, is um, I want to be seeing more of Mohamed Diaby, the the French midfielder they have, who has been out with a long term injury, but he's he's been back for a, a month or two now, and and I love him because he's like you know he's like six foot five, six foot six, like a real you you notice him, but he's got his roots. He's a very skillful player. I know I've talked about him several times on this podcast, but when he got in this game, I thought he looked great. And I feel like there's a there's a space in that um Passos midfielder. Now with the departure of Eustachio, you know, um they've got Nuno Santos and from Benfica, who's has been fantastic. But I, I I do think there's a there's a place for DRB in there. And I, and I just I don't know why we haven't seen more of him. I, I it's just the player I love, man. And uh there's some decent players in that Passos side and like you, I'm I'm not surprised that they lost the game because I, I don't think they're a side that really has the quality to to compete with Sporting at the moment. But I will say that they, they've been a decent side this season. I think the job that Cesar Pachotto has done there has been pretty underrated. I think he's done a really good job of solidifying that team. I think he's done a good job of finding a kind of solid 11 that he plays with because I think uh, under Samal there was a little bit too much chopping and changing perhaps. He, and Pachotto seems to be a little bit more consistent in his squad selection they've not really lit up the league let's be honest but they're they're, they're safe from relegation and for a club like Passos that's that's really really is the most important thing let's talk about the last of the big three Barney and it was another routine win for Porto who in my opinion have made a habit this season of winning games against smaller teams very comfortably Uh, and this game was no exception they beat Santa Clara 3-0 with two goals from Fabio Vieira, the star boy, another in a list of young players breaking into this Porto team. Two fantastic goals, in my opinion, two deceptively difficult finishes. They looked simple on paper, but it was two great goals. It's now 56 games unbeaten for Porto. We know that's the joint league record. They're ready to smash it. They're six points clear at the top. There's six games to go. They continue to look completely imperious. They absolutely do. I mean, <laughs> we are well I am certainly struggling to to describe them because it's just the same in week out week in week out um I mean we can I think I guess I'll focus on individuals and where else to start than Fabio Vieira I mean I think the difference for him is not lack of minutes but the considerably less minutes he's had to some of the other star players in this league he's been he's been in and out of this team he, he hasn't he hasn't been a regular star you know he's featured for 22 games but only eleven of those have come from start um, from being in the starting lineup. You know, with his six goals and eleven assists, you know he's 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 blown me away really this this season. Well, and you mentioned some of his statistics there, and I think they really do speak for him for themselves. Just to elaborate on those statistics a little bit, because you mentioned that he's been in and out of the team, perhaps that's the reason he's been overlooked. But in my opinion, his sporadic minutes plus the number of goal contributions that he, he's managed to get are what make him so special this season. He's averaged 47 minutes a game in the game in those 22 appearances that he's made. In that time, as you say, 
17 goal contributions. That's a goal or assist every 57 minutes of football that he's played. I think that's probably, at the end of the season, going to be up there with some of the best footballers in the Premier League at the end of the season. He's a really talented player and one of many exciting youngsters at Porto. But as you say, it is quite hard when we talk about Porto now to come up with new interesting ways to talk about them. You picked out one individual as a way of highlighting their good performance. I'll pick out another, perhaps not one of the obvious ones, but for me, it would actually be Diogo Costa in goal, who I thought made a really important contribution to this game. Um, because there was a time where, although Porto were on top, when they were 2-0 ahead, there was a definite period in the second half where Costa pulled out two really good key saves from good Santa Clara chances. And with 20 minutes to go in a game like this, you know, if Santa Clara, who, who weren't terrible at all, by the way, during this game, they did show that they could cause Porto problems. If in that scenario, they get a goal back with 20 minutes left to play, suddenly this fixture becomes a lot more tense. Suddenly that three points is at stake. But Costa's key saves meant that they kept control of the game and they went on and got a third goal in the end, which, which is what completely killed the tie. So yeah, in my opinion, Diogo Costa again, showing a really valuable contribution to, to FC Porto. I think the only thing I, I will add to um, this Porto child is that, you know, obviously we're, we're, we're quite happy to highlight the attacking players, you know, all season, Evan Nilsson, Taremi, uh, Fabio Vieira, Vitinha as well, but the, the defence, and you've made your right to highlight the keeper there as well, but the defence is an unsung hero for me. I mean, a statistic I like is uh, shots faced per game. And and for the season, you know, Porto are averaging just facing seven shots per game. You know, that is by far the best in the league. You know, Sporting 8.2, Benfica 10, and it just goes up and up from there. And so I think the that just show, tells you a story of the, the these, you know, Chancellor Mbemba, Pepe, even Cardoso when he's been in the team, you know, Jao Marriott right back, you know, who was a winger, they're doing their jobs going forward, but, uh, you know, def- going defensively, they're, 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 they're really putting together as a unit and they're just doing their business. I suppose you don't go 56 games on beating in the Premier League or without being solid all over the pitch, yeah. you know. So full credit to what Porto are achieving this season. Well, look, we said we were going to talk about some important results at the bottom under the table. So I think we should start that discussion, Barney, with Aruka versus Gil Vicente, a game which contained two red cards and an Aruka goal from inside their own half. It ended 2-1 to Aruka, who got their first win in five games. That's a result that puts them five points clear of the automatic relegation places and will give them a massive, massive boost in their hopes for survival. Well, let's let's talk about Andre Silva, right? Because I, I think, I remember at the beginning of the season, he'd scored like maybe two goals. And I've, I remember trying to be smart for my fantasy football team. And I was, he had a, a really low XG for those for those two goals. I was like, oh, this guy can finish. And, uh, um, and so I stuck with my team. And ever since then, I've been keeping an eye on him. But, you know, what do you think his XG was for his second goal, Albert? <laughs> <laughs> it was a once-in-a-lifetime finish. That's how you put it. He, he he will probably never score a goal like that again. And it, it really did exemplify a good performance from him because, you know, obviously the second goal is what will grab the headlines. And I know we, we say it a lot on this podcast, but this time I truly mean it. If you have not watched this goal, please do yourself a favour and go and dig out the highlights because it is a really, really phenomenal finish. But it's also worth saying, Barney, of course, that the first goal is also really, really excellent, easily overshadowed by the second, but not one to be underrated. It's a really, really solid header. He does really well to guide it past the keeper. It's not an easy technique at all. And I think it did cap off a great display where he scored, I believe, two goals from two shots, one of which was, of course, in his own half. Now, we praise strikers all the time at the top end of the table who are probably scoring something like one goal in every three or four or five chances that they get. But when you're fighting for your life at the bottom of the table with 10 men on the pitch against a team considerably above you in the table, having a striker that can get you two goals from two shots is, is an absolute godsend. I, I, part of me wonders if, you know, that's why he f- 
took that shot on for his second goal because he, you know, he had there was no way he was going to dribble the pitch. They were very much backs against the ball. It just came out to him, and he had, you know, he wasn't really going to go anywhere with it in that position. I love thinking about what's going through a, a player's <laughs> mind when they're they're hitting the ball from that that distance. Um, but yeah, I can. I was going to highlight the exact same thing that you did there, Albert. The fact that the quality of his first finish, you know, mm. I think this is a really interesting striker. You know, he's 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 quite young. Um, I think he came through Rio Ave and then got his move to Aruca. I think there's a lot of talent there. I, I've I've always liked what I've seen from him, and I've, I, I I'm very interested to see how his his career progresses. I think looking at the game, you know. In a in a strange strange way, I think the, the Ruka going down to ten men and having Andre Silva, of course, in the team, it actually helped them get a result here because I think Juventus, you know, we've seen them play the way they play this season, but I think it doesn't suit them to to be up against a a, a brick wall of of you know five and four men like just up up in their own box defending deep. I don't think that suits their style of play, and I, I think you could see them struggling to find. Find art, like you know, find a gap, find a chance. Uh, so, uh, in a way, that's uh, I think that's what how the, that's why the game played out the way it did. Worth mentioning also, Brian, that Gil Vicente's goal, to be fair to them, was also an absolute banger. So, yeah, definitely, if you're going to watch any highlights from any game, we probably recommend it be this one. Um, there's no doubt, though, as you say, that this result was, let's say, out of character for Gil Vicente. I think, you know, when Aruka go down to 10 men in the first half, you're thinking, Gilbertson, they really have to go on and win this game if they're going to, you know, if they're going to push on as they have done this season. Obviously, it didn't go to plan and, and, and it is a poor result from their perspective. They had that big boost from beating Braga a few weekends ago, but in the other three of their last four games, excluding that win against Braga, they've now lost to Aruka, drawn to Estoril and drawn with Maritimo. So I think while they have done well against big teams, do you think it's fair to say that perhaps... They've underachieved recently against teams in and around their own level. Maybe that's a bit harsh, but if you're holding them to high standards as a team that are fighting for Europe, I think you could argue that. It's hard. I was I was thinking about you know whether there was that moment, wasn't there, where they were that after that Brog win, where it was like, wow, here they are, this is it, and the, and whether I was thinking whether that that's you know has the pressure got too much and then for them to sort of try and maintain this. I, I think that's too strong a thing to say. I think what we're just seeing is, you know, we can't get too carried away with them, is what I was saying. I think I was saying that as well, but we've got to remember their limitations. And mm. I, there were going to be a few, it might look like a blip, it might look like a drop in form, but these are just like any other season, this is a pretty normal res- result for a Gilbertson team. You know what I mean? I think um, ultimately, that for me, this is one of the, the better games of football I've seen from, in this league. That's what I loved about it. Definitely another great advert for the Primera Liga and not just teams in the big three. This game was was absolutely fantastic. And just to go back to Aruka Barney and where this result leaves them, as I said, their first win in five games puts them on 26 points. That's five points ahead of BSAD on 21 and five points clear of automatic relegation spots. Obviously, they're only one point clear of Tondela in the playoff spot. So they still could be involved in some kind of relegation battle. But... I think it's fair to say, you know, one of the teams that that we kind of have a soft spot for. It's a it's an important result, and and yeah, as I said earlier, a very very valuable three points when in a relegation battle. Um, well, look, let's talk about another relegation side. That team that I just mentioned, Tondela, because they were another team that got an excellent result, three one. They won away at Marita. I'm sure Aruka would have been gutted to see. Tondela win on the same week that they managed to get a win. But it was a, a wonderful result for Tondela, who themselves have needed a result. Um, their first win since the end of January. And interestingly, their first win since new manager Nuno Campos came in. Now, he couldn't turn things around when he was appointed as Santa Clara manager. But I think we may be starting to see the roots of recovery for Tondela under Nuno Campos because this, for me, Barney, this 3-1 win away at Veritimo was a very, very promising performance, not just for the result, but for the way I believe they dominated the game. Yeah, what I like that Nuno Campos has done is that he's kept with um, the 3-4-3 formation we saw Estran move to towards the end of his, his spell there. and But what he's done is with Estran, that, that move for me was a sort of trying to solidify the defence and, and shore things up. But what I think Nuno Campos has done is sort of 
focused on attack. You know, they've scored five goals in in the two games that uh, Nuno Campos has been in charge. You know, they'd scored four in their previous eight games before he was appointed. You know, that just shows the difference in in mentality, perhaps, we're seeing from this Tondera side. Um, I like the free four formation. I know I've mentioned before, but it certainly brings out the best on Neto Borges on the left-hand side. and But also, you know, it just gives players the two wingers out, Salvador Agra and Rafael Barbosa, who I, I just feel they're decent enough. Do you know what I mean? I feel like any team in this league outside the European places would would probably take them. Perhaps that's too strong, but I just feel that they're, 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 there's a consistency to these two players that I, I really like. And I think that they've been a, a, incredibly important players for Tundea in the, in the past two seasons I've been watching them. Yeah, I think possibly any team outside the top six or so, they could do a job at definitely. But you're right to say that because there are quality players in this Tondela team, which in a way makes it a little bit more perplexing the way they found themselves really rooted down the bottom end of the table. But as I mentioned earlier, the thing that I really liked about this performance was just how much Tondela dominated the game uh, and really were the better team ahead of Maritimo. I think if there's one thing that Nuno Campos has done to this squad, and it's that word that you mentioned earlier, Barney, it's instilling a new mentality in this team. There's a newfound motivation in these players because... If I'm being totally honest, only one of these teams came out motivated to win. In my opinion, Maritimo, in comparison, looked a little bit aimless. I think they lacked drive. They lacked purpose. They themselves have only won one game since January, and that was against Morarens. They've drawn a lot of games, Maritimo. And I think, unfortunately, they've really started to perhaps stagnate a little bit towards the end of the season. Perhaps that's down to the fact that they themselves are not really in any trouble anymore. But it's a shame because when Seattle first came in, I think we started to see some very promising performances. And as opposed to progressing, I think they are, as I said, really starting to, to drop off in form. I feel like they need to they need to start scoring, man. You know, they had a, was it a big 4-1 win around the time Seattle first came in. You know, uh, they just need to be getting more than one goal in a, in a game is what I'm trying to say. You know, you mentioned the, all those draws recently. They were all like 1-1, weren't they? So that, that's what needs to change for me. There needs to... They needed a, an, another kick up the bum, maybe, because, yeah, they, they seem to have, have dropped off quite drastically. But this is, yeah, uh, you know, this is what this episode is about, isn't it? This is a massive result from Tadea and a massive result at the bottom of the table. Puts them in 16th place, which is the relegation playoff, but crucially, they're four points clear of BSAD. So that's a little cushion, um, a little cushion in terms of their relegation battle. Well, look, let's do something, Barney, that we almost never do on this podcast and that is talk about a game of football involving BSAD and not only that Barney but a game which BSAD actually won they managed to beat a woeful port of an end side 2-0 thanks to a penalty from Safira and a late goal from Pedro Nuno now port of an played 60 minutes with 10 men but were still miles off the pace and lost their fourth consecutive game BSAD won just their fourth game of the season and move off the bottom of the table for the first time in quite literally months. Now, there's still five points from safety, as I just said, uh, but after almost being dead and buried, this game just gives them a little hope of survival. I had to do my research. I would to make my notes. <laughs> just I, I didn't even know who the manager was of, of Bezo. You know, I just paid that little attention <laughs> to them. But, like, it, it's an interesting one, man, because... Um, so Franklin Carvalho is their is their manager, and this is his first managerial job at just thirty five years of age. Um, he had been Braga's on the nineteens manager before becoming assistant manager at Bsad uh, in twenty nineteen. Now, since he's become in charge, uh, these four games they're about a loss. You know, there's only one goal conceded, and that's three and three clean sheets in their last three games. Something's changed here, and he, and he's looked at the defence and. You know, the, the thing I always sort of asterisk our chat with B said, you know, the, the club are who they are, the, 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 the SAD are who they are, but there are still individual players here who are trying to make a career in football in Portugal. And so I wanted to highlight some of them that, that stood out for me in this game. First of all, the goalkeeper, Luis Philippe, 24 years old. What I thought this was a fantastic display from him, you know, really important as well when, uh, you know, it, when they were one 0 up and Portimonense was sort of really trying to get back into it, he made um four big saves in in this game. You know, ar- around that time, and then there's defenders too. There's um Danny Henriquez, a 24 year old centre back, 
who actually grew up in Holland. You know, he's been fantastic for them since they lost Thomas Rivera uh, in, in January. And also um, a player, Zach Lowy's highlight before, Diogo Calilla, the 23-year-old right back who's been filling at left back and left wing back. He, he's been fantastic as well. So this is the... If there is going to be a turning point in peace that season, you know, and it is this moment, it's the defence and, and, and they're... You know, they are looking all right. I've had to mute my mic while Barney was speaking them because I was just sighing all the way through that. <laughs> I can't believe it, Barney. Can they actually do it? Could they actually survive after after all this time in the season they've had? I, I made a joke on Twitter, Barney, that if they're not relegated, then I'm going to quit this podcast because <laughs> <laughs> I just can't bear to speak about them for another season. But I am completely in agreement with you that um, despite the jokes that we have at B-Sad's expense, um, as you quite rightly say, there are professional footballers there who are just trying to do their job uh, and do the best that they can in the situation that they're in. So it's a good win for them uh, and three points that will probably motivate those players to, to push on and do better. What has happened to Porto Melenz though, Barney? Because in the first half of the season, they were European football candidates. Now they're in complete free-fall. They're heading further and further down the table with every week. They've got the joint worst form in the league with Morarens, four losses and one draw in their last five games. We know they've lost key players, but personally, I'm still finding this very hard to understand just how things have got as bad as they've got. I've, I've basically written the same thing out because it really cannot be down to, you know, the two big departures, Fadi Kande and Bo Morton in the January transfer. It, you know, that, that can't be it. But perhaps it is because... Fale Kande is still their second best assister and Bo Morty is still their top goal scorer despite, despite them having not played at the club since January. I just looked at this, you know, they've played 28 games so far this season. The first 14 games of the season, they got seven wins and two draws. The following 14 games, zero wins and six draws. You know, that's... It's a massive, <laughs> massive difference. It's a massive difference and they've got to be careful because, you know, as... as as we've been saying, you know, there's there's teams bucking their ideas up uh, at the bottom of the table, and, and if Portland's don't soon, they they could be well find themselves in trouble potentially. I think they're only four points themselves clear of the relegation playoff. So, you know, we saw what happened with Rio Ave last season, Barney, when they let their season just they really let their season go, ended up in that playoff, and it was an absolute disaster. They're of course now in the Segunda Liga, so you really don't want something similar to happen to Porto and ends. It's surely not as simple as saying, though, that it's because of two players leaving. I mean, it's players that are already at the club that seem to have, that are no longer contributing. We were at the beginning of the season talking so praisingly about um, their defenders, their centre-backs, their goalkeeper, and yet now they're leaking goals for fun. So it really is a perplexing story. They really need to get their act together. They're on 29 points at the moment. As I said, four points clear of 16th place. You feel like if they can scrape a win or two from somewhere in this last six games and that will be enough to see them over the line. But as things stand, nothing is certain at the moment. We've mentioned Morarens a couple of times there, Barney. Now, they were the only team in the bottom four not to get a win this week. And that's absolutely disastrous for them because it means that they are now bottom of the table. They are categorically the worst team in the league as things stand. And I thought, as an example, after a 1-0 loss at home to Victoria, which, to be fair, I don't think is exactly a surprise result, considering the way things are going. The one thing that I did think was very interesting about this game, Barney, was the scenes after the match when Ricardo Sarpinto was having some very heated conversations with the fans in the stands about the way things are going. We also saw some players in tears. Uh, the centre-back Rosic was, was particularly emotional after the game. It's interesting because obviously it's well documented the managerial struggles that Morarens have had this season. I think they made two very poor appointments and I think Sarpinto is yet to really prove that he will be anything other than the third poor appointment. They've failed to pick up performances all season. There's been no new manager bounce and they really, really are in trouble at this point. It does just seem that it's a case of whether they will finish dead last or second from bottom because at the moment they seem like the only club, even including B-side at this stage, who just don't seem to be able to get a win from anywhere. Well, let's do our last couple of games, Barney, to round off this marathon episode. 
And let's look a little bit further up the table uh, to games involving more mid-table clubs, but games that are no less important in terms of their impacts on the league standings. First of all, Barney, let's talk about Estoril versus Vizela because it was a vital win and an invaluable three points for Vizela away at Estoril. Their two goals came from their hidden gem, Kiko Bondoso. They now have 29 points, which puts them four points off the relegation playoff and eight points above automatic relegation. So again, for one of our favourite teams this season, they are heading closer and closer to survival with only six games left to play. It's easy to forget, isn't it? This is a, a game between two promoted teams. Uh, you know, yeah. the, how successful Estoril have been. For Estoril, I thought this was a perhaps a good example of their... They were playing some beautiful football, essentially. And I think, you know, their, their goal was an absolute masterclass, really, the way that move built up and they they, they kept the kept the play going. And But then if you look at Kiko Bundoza's winner, how they got caught out the back trying to play football... But the one the, the 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 one main thing for me, Albert, was their goal scorer, Leandro Ruiz, who was having a great game. He was taken off at first uh, at half time, and I couldn't work out why. You know, he got that goal. He'd you know two shots on target, hundred percent pass actually. You know, he was looking like a really good player, and they they took him off and brought on a uh, Rui Font, who was a uh, far less mobile than Leandro Ruiz, and, and there was no clear reason why. So that that was that was a sort of question I had about what what was going on there. I, I couldn't work out why because that that was their like I was saying, you know that they 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 had some really promising attacking plays, and Leandro Ruiz was key in most of them. I suppose we have to assume, therefore, that it was some kind of injury that he picked up during um, during the first half. And of course, it was a disappointing result for Estoril, though, to lose at home and to lose ground on Vitoria, who's the team they're really trying to chase. They're now five points behind Vitoria. They've lost three of their last five games, and you know, unfortunately, it does seem that for them, this European dream that was alive for so long in the first half of the season might now be over. Um, but I have to go back to Rosella Bonnie and I have to go back to Kiko, Kiko Bondoso because anybody who listens to the show regularly will know, not only do I love Kiko Bondoso, but I also love an opportunity to pat myself on the back. So I mentioned Kiko Bondoso as one of my 25 best players in the league on the Quartelinius podcast. And I think he really showed why he is a very underrated player. I think he's a diamond in the rough at Vizela. Um, I think he's the real deal in terms of quality. I can see him playing at a much bigger club in Portugal, maybe even one of the big three, the quality that, beha- that he possesses. Two good goals. One, perhaps a bit lucky, that first goal, the way it kind of comes off the goalkeeper's head and hits the post. Very unfortunate for the uh, Estoril goalkeeper. He probably should have done better. But two good goals from one of my favourite players in one of my favourite teams. And I would be totally honest and say that I would be delighted if a result such as this means that Fazella stay in the Premier League for another season, because what a story that would be. I think they've shown me enough this time that they're, that they're, they're no mugs, you know, they, they can play football and that. And then there's a, there's, a, there's a solid enough team there to deserve to be in this league. Absolutely. Well, we'll see how things go over the next few games. And lastly, Barney, let's talk about Famalicao versus Boa Vista, as Boa Vista beat Famalicao 2-1 away from home in what was only their fifth win of the season. Very interestingly for Boa Vista, Barney, they have the third lowest amount of wins in the league. They've only won one more game than Bisad and Morarens, but their 15 draws are what have helped them stay more or less in the safe places this season. So a win away from home against a tough opponent was really important. And I want to highlight one player and that is Kenji Gore, who's not started a lot of games recently, but in my opinion, has always looked threatening off the bench for both Vista. And I was calling for him to start. His impact was clear to see. While he might not have been credited with any assists, I think he was the player that really created both of Bo Vista's goals. First by winning the penalty, which Sauer scored. And second by chasing down the keeper, which led to Peter Musa's goal. So really an excellent performance from Gore and an example of why in my opinion, he's a very underrated player. I think I texted you um, at the weekend, Albert, um, uh, a great follower uh, on Twitter for our listeners is uh, Thomas Dacuna. He's sort of a, uh, he, he writes really well on, on Portuguese football, but he was he was highlighting Kenji Gore as well and saying, essentially along the lines of like, you know, he's not a, an obvious like attacking threat, but he... What he offers in terms of stability, in terms of his close control and, and the way he can take on a player, it's been so good for this Bovista team. And especially, especially when you think about, you know, the, the the previous 
players we've seen play for them. I think if, um, you know, Albert Ellis springs to mind, um, Angel Gomez, you know, both in- incredible talents, um, very attacking, but in, in, in playing both of them last season, you know, they lost some stability at, at the back and, and, what I think this Boa Vista team has done this season is completely solidified themselves. You know, you look at Makuta midfield being that engine, you look, and Kenji Gori in particular, sort of that, and Gustavo Sal on the other wing as well. Um, solid players, you know, and, and, and you've mentioned the statistics there about them only having one more win than and B-Sad, you know, the fact that they got those draws, they they able to hold out for points, you know, that's that's been real real key to them. I wanted to talk about Peter Moussa, Albert, because... And so I was his 10th goal of the season now and um, making him the 10th highest goal scorer in the league. And uh, I looked at those 10, the 10 highest goal scorers and he is winning the second most aerial duels out of all of those 10. He's second to a Stupinen, right? And I think Darwin, who's the top goal scorer, wins about 0.8 aerials per game, whereas Peter Musa wins 4.2, which is a, a vastly huge difference. And I wanted to compare those two players because... I really think Musa would be an, an excellent replacement for Darwin should Darwin Nunes leave Benfica because it will give them that extra bit in attack. I think perhaps that's what they brought Uremshuk in for to be that sort of robust big man. But, you know, Musa's a bit of everything, I think. He can be that target man. He can be that skillful player that we know Darwin is. And yeah, he, he's, he's been fantastic for them. It's always interesting to highlight a striker who's doing well from lower down the leagues because there's, there's, there's not many that stand out. But this season, we've got a few Peter Musa. Definitely one of them. And as you say, I think Bovista's league position at the moment, for me, kind of reflects the season that they've had. It's 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 not been incredible, but they're safe. And I think considering what happened in the summer and the position they were in with um, dodgy owners and, and players leaving and, and not much money to spend on wages, I think every single Bovista fan would have snapped your hand off to, to have a comfortable mid-table season. And that's what they've had. So, you know, I did highlight the fact that they've not won many games. Maybe if they can win a couple more in their last six to give their fans something to shout about, that will round their season off nicely. But as things stand, I think they've done pretty well. I mean, Famalicao beat Bovis to 5-2 early in the season. Mm. So Simon Banza getting uh, two goals in that game. And I think uh, that's interesting to bear in mind because, you know, we both... We've talked about Bovista a bit there, but Famalicao have been on a journey as well, haven't they, since then? They've... They've uh, they were in a bit of trouble, I felt, but they they seem to have come back stronger this second half of the season. Um, I think this was a this will be a disappointing result for them. I think they they're I think they're better placed than Boa Vista to um, to finish the season stronger, particularly with the some of the January signings. So yeah, um, I don't think they're in trouble though, but they they um, they they should be just fine. Not been consistent enough for me. I think they've they've just not managed to get a consistent one of form or a consistent starting eleven to really push on. They showed real promise at the end of the last season. I thought under Ivo Vieira, sadly that didn't continue, and I think they're still finding their feet with their new manager uh, and the set of players that they've got available to them. Well, look, I think that just about brings us to the end of what has been a pretty marathon show. We want to thank you, everybody who stuck with us to the end because we wanted to try and cover every game, just as we said because there were so many games which had an impact in the Premier League table. There's only six games left and this, and there's still so much to play for. So we're really looking forward to this last run-in of the season. My, me and Barney are hoping to uh, be there every week until the end of the season, covering what goes on. So don't take your eyes off what's happening. Um, it just gives us time, though, Barney, to do what we always love to do at the end of the show and give our listeners some recommendations for a game or two that they could look out for this weekend if they're looking for a Premier League fixture to watch. Now, in my opinion, I think you've got to wait until Sunday for the real key fixtures. But my recommendations to the listeners would be get yourself sat down on the sofa on Sunday evening at 6pm and enjoy a double bill of Porto versus Vittoria at 6pm, followed by Vizela versus Braga at 8.30. Two lovely fixtures between four great teams uh, which are guaranteed to be entertaining. Yeah, I don't think I can beat that. Um, that would be a nice little Sunday, actually. I think that's that's definitely the, the two games I'd recommend. I will give our traditional hipster choice, though, Barney, for listeners who want something a little bit more niche, and that will be Saturday at 6pm when I think you can catch Boa Vista versus Aruka. I've just got a feeling that that would be uh, an interesting game to watch. 
Well, look, I think that is just about all we've got time for on this week's show. Uh, if you've enjoyed listening, you could support the podcast by giving us a little review, either on Apple Podcasts or a star rating on Spotify. Or, of course, you could just keep it old school and recommend the podcast to a friend that you think might enjoy it. Um, if you want to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at football. We're always happy to get involved in any conversation. So leave us a comment or drop us a message uh, and we'll be happy to have a chat. But that just leaves me to say for another week, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week. Yeah, see you next week.